0: Sunday this morning huh Woo. yeah it's been good it's been good and I'm very very thankful for the opportunity I've been working with our uh our youth pastor Isaiah and our student ministries um and so I want to thank you as a congregation for this awesome opportunity um because without you guys it, it just it, it wouldn't um be possible and so thank you for allowing me to get to serve with your youth this summer um and for allowing me to um, just be a part of their lives. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Will Henry. Uh, and I've been an intern, as I said, this summer, um, for uh, this past summer with our student ministries. Um, but I've been a part of this church for uh, about 16 years now, the good majority of my life. Uh, and I just really want to thank this congregation and, and so many people in the audience uh, who are here today for being such an essential part uh, in my upbringing. And just, it's an honor to be able, to, and a privilege to be able to get to speak in front of you guys um, and get to speak uh, today. Um, and it's just such an honor to be able to deliver the Word of God to you today. Um, so let's just dive right in. So, when I was in high school, I participated in a lot of extracurricular activities. And one of the most involved ones uh, I-, I participated in was marching band. Now, marching band has an interesting kind of culture where you kind of had your big shots on leadership and then you had. Next tier, I would say, you know, some of the upperclassmen that were kind of cool, and then the rest, of every, the rest of everybody was goofballs, okay? So, I was going into my sophomore year of high school, and I decided I no longer wanted to be in that goofball status, and, so, and, and rather, I wanted to be one of the top shot leaders. I was looking for status, and so I applied, and I had an interview. The big day came, when we were going to announce the, the leadership for next year, and the day came, and... I didn't get the job. I felt rejected by a group that I really cared about and I put a lot of time into. But the next year came around and I tried again. So I was applying for section leader again, or or and but this time I was also applying for drum major, which was the leader of the band. Okay, I was really excited. This was a big deal. I auditioned, didn't go that well, and I interviewed and. The day was coming when I was gonna be announced the leader of the band, leader of my section at least. The day finally came, and I didn't get it. And I was hurt, I felt rejected, and since this this is the second time around, I was pretty humiliated. I was putting all my cards and my identity on these two instances. Now granted, in hindsight, my parents can attest to this, and those who saw me on the field can attest to this, but I was the worst marcher I'd ever met. My parent <laughs> But nevertheless, I got rejected by a group that I cared about. I got rejected by a group that I respected, by leaders that I respected, and I wanted something and I didn't get it. Now, while that particular incident is unique to me, and maybe some of you can relate here, but I think to one degree or another, we all struggle with this. We all long to be accepted into a group. My primary job this summer has been to work with the youth and student ministries in a variety of different contexts. And one thing I see in every outing, every trip, every Sunday that I go on, I see different students from everywhere struggling to find their place amongst various people. And this shouldn't be a foreign concept to any of us. While some of us may not admit it and say we're introverts, we are social creatures. We all desire to be a part of a group. We long to be a part of a group. Social psychologist Abraham Moslow uh, said that our psychological makeup, most important aspect to one's psychological makeup, other than our physiological needs, like our health, and our, our security, so like our bodily security and the feeling of safety in both our finance and our, our, our bodies, is the idea of feeling that we belong. It's, and so when we get rejected, oftentimes pain and hurt, are the emotions we feel when we try and cope with that. And we get scared because we don't want to go through that again. And obviously we feel this at different scales according to what happened. So obviously me getting passed over for an extracurricular activity does not even compare with the pain that somebody feels after a divorce or a firing. But nevertheless, we all feel pain to one degree or another. But whether it was a big deal or a small deal, um, you know, before I jump into something the next time, I, I, you know, sometimes it makes me hesitate and say, is there any way I could actually get this job? What if I'm wrong about this girl or this guy liking me? What if what I do causes me to get rejected or embarrassed by this group of people? And if these are questions you have ever asked yourself in the feeling of rejection, let me be the first to say, I understand. But what if I told you that part of being a follower of Jesus requires a certain amount of rejection? Would that surprise you at all? Would that maybe make you feel a little bit uncomfortable about your life as a follower of Jesus? You might be looking at me right now and be thinking, Will, what are you talking about? Well, if we take a look at Scripture, it becomes clear that to be a follower of Christ, you actually have to follow Christ in his footsteps. And you may be thinking, well, no doubt, Will, that's what, following Christ, that's what a follower is. That's what following Christ means. We wouldn't really be following if that was the case. But so often, we don't live our lives like Christ. We don't necessarily follow in his footsteps in every aspect of our lifestyle. And in order to be a true disciple of Christ, you do have to follow the lifestyle of Christ. And this seems so basic, but so many of us really don't take it, it that seriously. The Christian satire website, The Babylon Bee, posted a, an article, a satirical article. Uh, the other day, in the headline, it said something to the effect of, local man will do anything for Christ, except believe in an unpopular opinion. And when I saw that, I kind of laughed, but for many of us, that's so true. Our American Christian lifestyle today is so focused on image, we're really afraid of getting rejected by the world. But what would Jesus have to say about that? And that's where our text comes in today. Our text comes in uh, from the Gospel of John, and we'll be looking in the 15th chapter Now, before we get into the text, I do want to give you some background. This was written by the Apostle John, and if you have been with us this summer, you are familiar with the Apostle John. But he was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and by almost all accounts, we can say that during Jesus' ministry, he was personally the closest one to Jesus. And so John wrote his account of his time with Jesus to share with the various churches of the day, explaining who Jesus was and what he taught, and he did this in a more narrative format. And we get to a part of the story where Jesus is giving his 12 closest disciples kind of a four-chapter-long pep talk about what it means to be a follower of him after he's gone. And if you haven't ever read the Gospel of John, particularly, particularly chapters 13 through 17, I, uh, which consists of Jesus' final words before his arrest to his disciples and also the high priestly prayer, I encourage you to because this is so important in understanding what life is like you know, when Jesus, for these disciples, what life was going to be like after Jesus wasn't there. And so, but our text in today, um, in particular, comes from John chapter 15, verses 18 through 27. And we're going to have it on the screen, but if you want to turn there in your Bibles, feel free. But it says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you: a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, excuse me, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law, they hated me without reason. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you just so much for the ability, um, for giving us the opportunity to come together in fellowship and to come together to worship you. Thank you so much for your word, God, and, and what it means to us. And God, I pray that as I expose the text, God, that you will give me the words, that these words will not be of my own, but will be of you, God. I pray, God, that you will soften the hearts of this congregation, that you will soften the hearts of those in attendance, God to what they need to hear today. And in Jesus' name I pray these things, amen. So if you're like me, this is a passage that can make me feel rather uncomfortable. It makes us think about uncomfortable things. What do you mean the world's gonna hate me? Jesus, you've said some really great stuff up to this point, but now everyone is going to hate me? I thought this was, what you were saying was supposed to make my life better. I thought it was supposed to, you know, change my life for the better. And I want you to imagine what the 11 disciples are thinking. They're thinking, what? We're going to be hated? They didn't understand what was coming. Now, I think it's important to put some context about our, our, our text today here um, when John was writing this letter. The Gospel of John was actually written around 70 A.D., um, as some scholars put it, or a lot of scholars also put it at around 90 A.D. But either way, it was when John was much older, Now, John's gospel is unique because it's more reflective in nature. It's looking at Jesus' life through the context of when, you know, of the time that he's writing it. And he's looking at his time with Jesus through the time, uh, through the context of the lens of when he was writing it. And so by this point, when John wrote this, all or almost all of the original 11 uh, 11 apostles that had been with Jesus in the end um, had been martyred. And so John makes a point to mention this as part of the conversation, this part of the conversation as an encouragement and in a way to comfort those who are suffering under the persecution from Rome, as well as persecution from Jews and other religious groups. So we could really break this passage down to how he's talking to the disciples in this, in this point. We can break this down into three important points. First point is, you will be hated. That's followed by the second point, which says, but the reason you are hated is because Christ who chose you, was hated first. But you are not alone in that. Okay? And this may be a scary thought. These may be scary thoughts for many of you, but I'm convinced that while this passage speaks of rejection and preparing to be rejected, I'm convinced that the ultimate message here is not of rejection and loneliness, but rather, this is a message of true love and true acceptance by a loving and gracious Father. Now, if I told you that you would be hated for a particular principle you ha- held, this may cons- not be a pleasant thought to you. The idea of being hated just in general is not a pleasant thought. And looking at the history of the church, followers and, or disciples of Christ have suffered immense persecution throughout all of their history. And looking at the early church, every single one of the disciples of Christ died a slow and agonizing death that much resembled the fate of their master. And one does not have to look far after the end of the Gospels to see where the mortal persecution of Christians began in Acts chapter 7 with the stoning of the deacon Stephen. One could also point to the thousands of Christians who were hung on the cross by Nero shortly after the beginning of Christianity or the other Roman emperors. We could look at the intense persecution of Christians during the Middle Ages in the Middle East where various tribes from various nations Persecuted Christians throughout their lands. We can look at the persecution of Christians today and we see that Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world, especially in areas of the Middle East and East Asia. The world hates Christianity and Christ followers. Now, you might be saying, well, that's all sad and whatnot, Will, but why are you talking about us being hated when we live in a like that, when we live in a free country, when we live in a place? So that is so far is called the Bible Belt. To answer that question, I would say, yes, we do live in a free country, and we do live in a primarily dom- Christian-dominated area. I'm not afraid of being stoned after the, today's service because of what I believe as a Christian. But at, as um, Christ did not say that his disciples would be hated only in certain geographic locations or that they would be hated in certain points in history. Our culture hates Christianity, if you can tell. If you turn on any TV show or any media at all, Christianity has been characterized as something that is at best outdated and at worst full of hate, bigotry, and hypocrisy. Christ-like values have been characterized as not in line with the new Western culture. Christianity has been banned from government institutions. It's been ostracized on college campuses everywhere. And more and more workplaces and HR departments are speaking out against Christianity as a, as a hateful and bigoted force. Shortly before I started working here, I worked at another place, and, I found, um, and when the people there worked, found out that I was a follower of Christ, I was made fun of and judged many times over the course of my short time there. It's not, but it's not only about who we say it are, we are, but it's also about the lifestyle that accompanies being a disciple of Christ. I was reading this article from the Pew Research Center, and there were, and it was about non-practicing Christians in Europe. And what this study found was that many non-practicing Christians do not believe in God as described in the Bible, yet they believe in their own form of God. They reject and hate the Christ that is, and rather try to create their own version and just live off the principles and social uh, morals of the world. People like the idea of Christ, but they don't like the idea of being rejected, they like to define what Jesus is and they see, um, but when they see an actual Christ-like lifestyle, they hate it uh, and take it as foreign and weird. And so, while we may not be under the same threat of persecution like those, our counterparts, uh, and our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Middle East and East Asia, we are still under the threat of social persecution. We're still under the threat of, um, uh, of humiliation and the world still hates us as Christ's followers. But what Scripture ultimately teaches us is that we are not hated because of who we are. We are not hated because of who we are. We read here at the very first part of the text that the world hated Jesus before it hated us. So one must ask the question, well, why was Christ hated? Well, to give a very condensed answer, he was hated because he revealed the sin behind this world. He was hated because of the preconceived notions of who Christ should be were not met. I hear people on college campuses talk today about who Jesus was and what he should be and how he was just a really nice guy who was all about loving and making sure everybody got along. He was a peace advocate and activist, and those haters were just trying to bring him down. The problem with that is that those people are doing the exact same thing the Pharisees and the zealots of the time were doing. They are making Jesus out to be who they wanted him to be. The Pharisees hated him because he wasn't who they thought they should be, and that's what our culture does today, just in a little bit of a different form. They have an idea of who Jesus should be, and they see someone living after Christ's own heart, and they don't like it. It was not what they wanted. See, Christ revealed darkness within us. He came in a way that was disappointing to many, and he was hated by the world because the world is broken and ruled by spiritual Uh, rulers and powers of darkness. All sin is ultimately, in one form or another, idolatry. It is us turning away from God and trying to fulfill that hole that that should be filled with God with something else. And those powers have an influence over those who hated Christ then, and they have power over those who hate Christ currently. And while we know Christ has won the victory, we aren't in heaven yet. And... We need to be cautious of those forces like Ephesians 6 says. Ultimately though, none of this about, is about you, but rather it's about the one who has been raised inside you. And let me say this if you are a non-believer today. There's good news in all of this. It, I talk a lot about rejection and being rejected, but see, we have been restored, we have been chosen by Christ out of the world. We have been chosen to be as a church, to be a part of the restoration of this world, of a part of restoring this world to Christ, to restoring this world to perfection. And I want you to consider that, you know, he knows what is gonna, what you will go through, and he assures them that they have been set apart from the sinful dying world in order that they might play a part in God's, restoring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And I want you to know that if you are not a believer, then Christ is calling you and offering you to be a part of his chosen. And he's making that call today. But you have to make that call because he might be calling you, but it's a two-way streak. You have to know, you have to accept him as well. But for those of you who do believe, who are part of this invisible church, as we'll call it, that is the greatest news we could ever ask for. Yet, we still will face suffering because we are not of this world, but as scripture said, he has chosen us out of the world. He has set us apart to restore the world to himself. Think about this in medical terms. The world sees us as a disease, that it should be attacking more so than a cure to an already corrupted body. And out of self-preservation, it will thus attack us like white blood cells attacking a disease. But that leads me to my last point, and that is to say that the text also says, we are not alone. We are not alone in doing this chosen work. We see in verse 26 that an advocate, or as I saw in one translation say, a counselor, or just another simply say helper. But with all those terms, you know, they all indicate that we are not the only ones testifying to who Christ is. We are not the only ones walking this lonely road, but rather we are walking on a road with God as our helper and our advocate to our cause. God is the Holy Spirit. And so that begs the question of why do I continue to fear rejection based on who I follow when I have the king of the universe as an advocate? We have the king of the world's testimony on our side as Christians, and we so often live like we are alone in this, and it really doesn't matter that much. So my question today is, are you willing to live your life as a disciple and be rejected for Christ? Are you willing to be embarrassed for the sake of Christ. Earlier I mentioned that in order to be a Christ follower, you have to go wherever he goes, and that means being rejected by this world. Our text today makes very clear that Christ was hated by this world and that a servant is not greater than his master. So true discipleship, true discipleship requires a certain amount of rejection. It requires rejection from this world, but that ultimately leads to freedom from this world, freedom from the power of death and sin. And so, are you willing to follow Christ even into the realm of embarrassment? Are you willing to follow Christ even if that means that the people closest to you will reject you? Many of our students have started back to school this past week, and some are starting back a little bit later, but being Christ-like over the summer, and I know this from experience, is pretty easy comparatively. I know, but... Everyone is rooting for you. You have several church programs, several camps, several discipleship programs. But when you go back to school, you have to protect a facade. You have to protect a reputation. You want to blend in with a certain group. But what if instead of worrying about who my friend was and how I can find my identity in that, what what if Christ was enough for me? What if I stood out for the sake of Christ? What would the Holy Spirit do through me for the sake of God's kingdom? You know, we talk of earlier I mentioned something about American Christianity, and American Christianity recently has become so much about image. It's become a case where, you know, it looks good to go to church, and so we go. It looks good to go through the motions, and so we do the motions. We might even raise our hands in church, you know, get all controversial. And, you know, but real Christianity, what's that? What is, you know, real Christianity is something that looks really weird. It looks really scary. And it doesn't have nearly the appeal of American Christianity. Where I can be accepted and esteemed for going to church, but I'm not really living it out. But real Christianity, real Christ following, is what impacts the world. And so, are we willing to follow Christ even into the realm of rejection? Or are we just going to cringe back into our groups and let Christ be something to hold our image up? Francis Chan, in his latest book, Letters to the Church, talks about a time when he was visiting a persecuted yet thriving congregation in East Asia, and he talked with the pastor of the church and was trying to understand why do these persecuted people, why are they so joyful, why are they so Christ-like, why is this church thriving more than any American church that isn't persecuted, how, how does this all work, and he mentioned five pillars uh, and the pastor mentioned five pillars to which each uh, each individual in that church lived their life. And he said, uh, and four of which I was relatively comfortable with, okay? So four, uh, the first uh, was commitment to prayer, all right? Commitment to the word of God, commitment to sharing the gospel, and the regular expectation of miracles. Now, these four pillars, as an American church, we can at least have respect for. We can... And maybe many of us embrace these as pillars that we live our lives by. But the fifth pillar Chan mentioned, and this was one that really caught me off guard. But the fifth pillar Chan mentioned uh, that they lived out was they, um, they embraced suffering for the glory of Christ. They considered this a pillar. This was foundational for their church. Now, we don't face intense persecution like that. But the thought that jumps into my head is what if we embrace being absolutely humiliated and socially persecuted for the glory of Christ? What if we were willing to be uncomfortable in our Christ following? For as disciples, we are called to a higher calling. We are a calling worthy of literally everything we are, everything in our being. Just think of how the Holy Spirit would transform our lives and the lives of those around us, the lives of our workplaces, the lives of our schools. Think about how much the Holy Spirit would do through us in that. What if we were willing to take a leap of faith and walk into a life of greater discipleship? And if you need to make that decision for the first time today, and it's a difficult walk, but it's such a better one in the, in the end, then I encourage you to talk to one of our staff, to talk to me, to talk to whoever, uh, in order to, take, to see what it takes to take that next step. And, Know that, and church, know that even though you have been rejected by this world, by the dark powers of this world, know that you have been accepted by one that is far greater, by a savior, by the creator of this world, by the one who will reign forever. Thank you.